You're listening to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. We're honoured today to have Mossy, better known as Phil Moss, currently president of Football Coaches Australia. And in his spare time, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to bend over and read this out, Mossy. He's head of coaching and distinctive leadership at National Australia Bank. And we're gonna come back to that because I'm very keen to understand all that. And Moss is also an analyst on Big Sport Breakfast um, and uh, Fox Sports occasionally. Phil's had a, a great, he's a city boy, Northern Beaches boy, and played most of his football there as a junior and as a senior with Manly Warringah um, before he went on to represent Australia at two Maccabaya games, um, one with that tragedy in, in 97, and I, I wouldn't mind visiting that with you, Phil, as well. Um, had success as a player coach at DY. Um, and then moved into his role where I think everyone knows those three fantastic years he spent with Arnie at Central Coast Mariners, winning a championship and a premiership and a couple of grand finals, then taking over and having almost two years as head coach of the Mariners, uh, and then came back into the A-League for another year with Arnie um, at Sydney FC, won another championship there, I think, Mossy, and also had, had the, the great pleasure of working with Arnie for, with the 2008 Oli Roos. Um, for that Olympics, so I'm sure watching them play at this Olympics has been has been great. All round good guy, um, and someone that was at the very very beginning of football coaches Australia. Long introduction. Welcome, Phil Moss. Thank you very much, Gary Cole. I feel a little bit out of place given who you've had in this uh, seat before me, but uh, absolutely honoured to uh, to be here and be part of uh, this great work that you're doing. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Phil, let's before we talk about your coaching journey per se, I, I really want to look at Football Coaches Australia because what, while you know this podcast is sponsored by Football Coaches Australia and most of the people we talk to are members, we haven't really talked about the organisation. And I know that you were there at the inaugural meeting in Sydney with um, when <laughs> I'm sure Glenn Worry um, convinced, cajoled you to, to, to be involved because that's the sort of person he is. But you've been there from day one. You're the current president. Um, what, what what is it? Why is Football Coaches Australia important? Look, uh, there's there's so many reasons, Gaz. But but if I could boil it down into one main driver for me um, was was wrapping a um, a collective arm around coaches um, that just hasn't been there um, in the past. Um, there's so many different elements. To what we do, what we do, and, and why why I think FCA is so important to coaches. But ultimately, um, you know, coaches spend time together getting their qualifications. But that's about the only time you feel part of something as a coach. The rest of the job is is quite a lonely place, even though you're doing it for a club and and you know you've got um, a staff around you. Um, it can be a very very lonely place as a as a coach. So to have an organisation that wraps that that um, you know, collective arm around you, and he's there to support you through through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad. It's not just about when you're, you know, going through, um, you know, a, a tough time at a club and and um, potentially losing your job. It's it's the whole journey. You sort of you go and get your qualifications, and and then it's kind of like getting your driver's license in a lot of ways. You you, you kind of get it, and then you're on your own. Um, and I just think it's really important to have that support network around you for the whole journey um, to ride yeah. the highs and the lows. And um, um, because there is no such thing as uh, anything in between, it's either, <laughs> it's either high or it's low. Um, so, yeah, I'm just very, very passionate about, um, you know, what the organisation stands for, how it's been set up. Um, the people that we've got involved are just absolutely first class from, from the moment we had that first meeting um, to, to today. And, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly going to ensure that no coach who chooses to um, accept the support of an organisation like this will, will ever be on their own again in Australian football. Yeah, yeah no, I love that. I think a, a wise man once said for a coach that's just been sacked, they've got their family and they've got their lawyer, uh, and that's about the end of it. But but nowadays, obviously, we've got Football Coaches Australia to um, add add to that, which is such an important thing. Um, and and on that note, I, I guess um, I've been a part of the organisation. Now we're in. I'm in year two, and, and when I arrived, the uh, the relationship with um, the national body was a little bit rocky. And I think part of that, well, no, not part of it. Probably 
most of that sat around the fact that one of the first thing Football Coaches Australia did was go into bat for Alan Stajic, who, who obviously lost his job in you know bizarre set of circumstances as coach of the Matildas. So, how do you how how important is it for an organisation that represents people like coaches to also have good working relationships with the national body as well as, well as member feds? Look, you know, I'm very much of a collaborative mindset, um, Gaz. I, I think, you know, ultimately it takes um, it takes administrators, players, coaches and fans and the media to, to put a game of football, you know, at the top level, at the professional level on, yeah. on, the, on the field. Um, if we work through down to the grassroots, you're talking, you know, volunteers, parents, players, coaches. Um, and, and I don't see why it should be any different off the field. Um, to, to make the game as strong as it can be. So having strong relationships, um, a collaborative approach, you know, obviously individuals in, in positions of power have to make final decisions. But I think to arrive at those decisions, if we can work together as a game with the game at the very heart um, and particularly the players because they, they are the game, um, and, uh, you know, if they're at the very heart of all the decisions that we're making and we're being collaborative in our approach to reaching those decisions, then I think we're going to be in a much, much better position um, as a game. I think we've spent too much time in the past cannibalising ourselves as a game, uh, working against yeah. each other, um, which for me just doesn't sit easily. Um, and I, I don't think we can ever reach our full potential as a code in this country until we genuinely work together in the best interest of the game. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, during COVID, and you, when you say that, it's almost like it's over, but obviously you're in lockdown in Sydney and we're just out here, albeit I think Victorians are sticking their toe outside the door at the moment because we're, we're very wary of going back in again. Um, the, the work that Football Coaches Australia did during the whole, you know, last season and the beginning of this season... You must have been really proud of that. Exceptionally proud, Gaz. And, and I remember sitting down with the likes of yourself and um, and, and Glenn Worry, um, our CEO, and, and look, you know, the work Glenn has done is just superhuman. Um, not not just, you know, now what he's done, but but the way he, uh, along with um, James Kitching, set FCA up from from the beginning is is just phenomenal. Um, but that's a that's a much longer conversation for another day. But um, I, I remember sitting down and saying, well, you know, I'm always glass half full, um, always have been. I'll find a silver lining in any in any dark cloud. Um, and I remember saying, we cannot waste a great crisis. Um, and this is a great crisis. And I don't mean great as in um, yeah. let's celebrate it, but a great as in, you know, volume and... and um, you know the, the the span of it around the world. Um, so how do we make the most of this? And uh, and we had some fantastic. We have some fantastic fantastic people in the right places in the organisation with the right skill sets to to take everything online. And and I think we we really galvanised the the coaching fraternity. We had some wonderful which you were part of, Gaz, obviously, uh, meetings with the A-League coaches, the W-League coaches, the national team coaches, men's and women. Um, we had for the first time mass uh, amounts of coaches on a uh, a zoom meeting with the top brass from ffa um and and i just think that that really broke down a lot of barriers that have been there in the past because there's been a lot of decisions made in the past that that don't involve coaches um who care for the whole game because it's in our best interests um, to care about the game and, and how we can get the best out of players. Um, and I just thought it was a really powerful use of um, of our first lockdown back in 2020, um, and it's continued on. Yeah. I, I think, Phil, it's fair to say that when FCA was set up, um, so much of what went on, um, probably, probably uh, in part because of the focus around... Um, stage and, and the work that was done there um, but it was very focused on professional coaches and, and I think in, from my perspective what happened during lockdown was that the importance of what we can do for community coaches for members and obviously there's an awful lot more coaches out there in the community that are not currently members and, and we'd like them to do that but 
the, the work shifted or, or the importance of the work that we're doing for both professional coaches and community coaches um, shifted significantly. Do you think that's a, a fair observation? Absolutely. And it, and it was a very um, conscious um, decision to do that. Um, you know, we had to we had to start somewhere and we're, you know, we're running off the, the smell of an oily rag in a lot of um, ways, which the PFA did in, in the very early days as well. And now look at them as an organisation. Um, but certainly, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, never forget your roots and never forget your past, um, what set the foundations of the game. Um, and that is the, you know, the amateur levels, um, the grassroots levels of the game, the volunteers, the mums and the dads, um, you know, the, the, um, the multicultural communities that, uh, you know, that, that have created a lot of these clubs over many, many years. Um, and, and that has my full respect. And, and we have to, you know, never forget history and, and, and what's helped get the game to where it is today. Um, yeah, of course, there's still a long way to go, but I think we've got to embrace the past to um, to really, you know, take the, the future by the by the horns and and get yeah. to get the game to where it um, where it rightfully should be. Um, but there's no, you know, that's the thing. There's no God-given right as to where the game should sit in in this country. We've got to work damn hard to um, to make the most of what we've got. Um, and our biggest strength is is our participation numbers um, and the, the the strength of numbers within the game in Australia. How do we leverage that to get the game um, where it should be? Yeah. No, I like that a lot. So, so if you could if you could sum up what the the short term future of football coaches Australia looks like, how how would you sort of summarise that? Well, I'd love to get us to a point where you know we are driving enough revenue through the organisation that we can actually um, make some some appointments in a, in management positions and um, and those key positions that allow. Um, you know, experts in their field to really give coaches um, around-the-clock support that they need. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got a lot of wonderful people involved and, and real expertise and deep football knowledge and passion for the game and, and for coaches in particular. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the, the, the bigger the organisation becomes, um, the more resources we need um, so we can stretch and, and have the strength that we need across so many different areas um, to support coaches um, and, and provide that ongoing professional development. Um, so, yeah, my, my short-term um, motivation definitely is to drive some revenue through the organisation so we can make some appointments. And um, there's a lot of people putting a lot of hours in for absolutely zero uh, remuneration um, and it's not about remuneration but everyone's got to earn a living um, so I'd yeah. like to get to that point in the very near future mm. and, and I think on that as well you know when the organization has got some decent funding behind it one of the the key things that we believe we can do is actually get out with coaches on football pitches around the country and coach the coaches lead the leaders um, you know, because that, that's the part for me that, that has been misplaced over the journey. We've put thousands of coaches through licences and courses in the last 10, 12 years, but the ongoing development of coaches has gone by the by. And, and I think, you know, the, the, we owe coaches, the game owes coaches an opportunity to grow and learn and get better as well. And, um, you know, we've done that in so many ways already, um, but uh, let's hope there's a lot more of that to come as well. Yeah, you're right, Gaz. And, and you know, at the, at the very core of Football Coach Australia is coaches on a pitch coaching players to be the best they can be and provide that environment um, to get the best out of themselves and, and you know, help guide them and teach them as, as coaches do. Um, and we haven't had a lot of that since, uh, you know, over the last 18 months, as, as we were just talking about, most of what we've done has been uh, on a virtual football field on, on Zoom meetings. Um, but it's laid a good platform for when we do get past this pandemic and, and things do return to normal. We've got a bit of a taste of it, you know, over the last few months before this latest lockdown here in New South Wales and, and Victoria. Um, yeah. But it just gave us a taste of, of what's to come once we get past the pandemic. But being out on the pitch um, is where we all want to be. Um, and I think, you know, some of the workshops that we that we ran where we invited coaches, um, both grassroots and, and semi-professional and professional to attend some of the national team 
um, coaching sessions was absolutely fantastic. You know, yeah. the, all the spots were filled to capacity in absolutely no time. So you can see the power of it. Yeah. No. All powers to us. It's uh, it's great work, and thanks for being the uh, the main man, Phil. We appreciate your leadership. Speaking leadership, is there a dif- do you think there's a difference between leadership and coaching? Are they one and the same? Are coaches leaders? Are leaders coaches? Sorry, are good leaders coaches? Are good coaches good leaders? I think the best the best of the best have a great balance between the two, but I, I do see a difference um, between the two. And I, and I think it's, you know, I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but in, in my mind, I like to distinguish between the two. I, you know, I think coaching is more about teaching. Um, you know, you, you look at the, the technical and the tactical side, um, whereas leadership, you know, I believe is, is much more around the management um, and the mindset, uh, the motivation um, side of things and and you know I know we're going to talk about it a little little bit later but you know it's it's really become even more apparent to me moving into the corporate world away from the football field um, you know the difference between coaching and and leadership and I'm not saying one is more important than the other but but I do think there is a, a clear distinction between the two. Yeah, it, it sort of fast forwards in your journey a bit, but you you went from um, assistant coach. With, with Arnie uh, at Mariners, head coach at Mariners by yourself, back assistant with Arnie with the Socceroos uh, and at Sydney FC, very, very successful through that period and and got the opportunity to take on a, a senior leadership role in the corporate world. doesn't happen for all coaches, but I think I think it's very smart of NAB to, to make that sort of... Um, let's call it a transfer or an acquisition to be able to bring you. you, you, Talk talk to me about how that came about and how you were feeling at the time about making that move from coaching land into into the full-time corporate world. The the opportunity came about through an old friend of mine, uh, Paul Jurgens, who's a a local coach um, in the Manly Ringer Premier League with Wakehurst and we've known each other a long time. Uh, he was the general manager of retail at NAB. Um, so he ran the, the retail distribution um, business for, for NAB, which is a, a multi-billion dollar business. And um, so we, we, we think very similar around leadership and getting the best out of people. And, um, you know, the inverted triangle that leadership is about your people. It's not about you. Um, and he asked me to come in when I was at Sydney FC and just do a couple of leadership talks to his team of, um, of executive leaders. And a lot of what I said resonated um, with, with them. Um, and one thing led to another. A conversation started with his boss was up uh, from Melbourne for one of the talks. And uh, he was a um, you know mad rugby union fan. And a lot of what I said resonated with him. And um, yeah, the conversation led to an opportunity to come across to to NAB, and at the time, I you know I was very very happy at Sydney FC. I was uh, you know it was a time when Arnie was just leaving to go to the Socceroos. Stevie Corica was was taking over. I've known Stevie for 20, 20 odd years, twenty five years, and um, we've always been good mates and and had very similar philosophies on on the game and how it should be played and and our man man management. So I was really looking forward to just slipping. You know, from assisting Arnie to, to assisting Stevie, and and then this this offer came came up, and um, it was a massive decision. Probably, probably not as big as I realised it was actually going to be. Um, three years down the track, it was a bigger decision than what I realised. Um, I went into two sales leadership roles at NAB um, uh, for the first two years, and um, had zero banking experience, zero corporate experience. Um, zero business experience and uh, all of a sudden was in charge of 15 NAB branches on the North Shore of Sydney, um, you know, trying to get the best out of branch managers and home lending executives. And uh, yeah, it was a, <laughs> I look back now and I, I, I you know, I pinch myself and, uh, and sometimes I've got to slap myself to wake myself up. But uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. So given your lack of experience across those three areas, what, what, what did you lean on to support yourself um, through those early times? Well, I think, you know, as a, whether you're on a football field with, with studs, you know, on or, or you're in a, a big, tall building, 
you know, with a with a different type of um, suit on. It's not a track suit. It's a, a suit with no tie <laughs> these days. Um, you're still you're still working with people, and you're still trying to get the best out of yourself and and get the best out of the people around you. And you know, that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Whether it's football, whether it's being a father, whether it's being a, a corporate leader. Um, or a corporate leadership coach, um, getting the best out of myself and those around me is is really what gets me to, you know, throw the doona off in the morning and and jump in the shower. So, you know, I just I I remember the first day, you know, getting in the elevator of a NAB building at Chatswood, um, pressing the the 13th floor, and as the doors opened, you know, it must have been some form of anxiety attack because um, all of a sudden the elevator started closing in on me and and I remember, you know, breaking into a little bit of a sweat thinking, what have I done? You know, three days ago I was I was on the, f- the football field at uh, Macquarie University in a Sydney FC C track suit doing what I absolutely love, um, you know, with some of the best players in the country uh, and now I'm walking into a room full of 15 branch managers at National Australia Bank as their boss. Um, and I just had to, I had to check myself and, and stay in the moment and just go, you know, I remember saying clearly to myself, people, people first. And it was just a way of checking myself and I, I learned some valuable lessons in coaching, um, particularly one, one night, actually my last game in charge of the Central Coast Mariners, just about staying in the moment, checking yourself and making sure that, um, you know, you, you keep things simple. Um, when the pressure's on and you're in a difficult situation. So it was a great learning experience back then that, that came back uh, and helped me out on day one at, uh, at NAB. Yeah. All, all, all power to you and all, all power to the NAB for recognising um, the depth, knowledge and, and, and quality of your leadership. Um, I, I have to admit um, there's times that I just sit and wonder how many missed opportunities there are uh, my old mate Ernie Merrick sitting around Melbourne, you know, desperate to, to coach again. But I keep thinking, you know, if if the corporate world got hold of Ernie, his his wisdom and knowledge in the field of coaching and leadership uh, as a consultant or a in a full time role would be extraordinary. Because the uh, my general belief is that if you've been a successful coach, then you can certainly make that switch without you know the industry knowledge and background. Yeah, look, and I agree totally. And Ernie, you know, how Ernie's not um, involved in the game, you know, and, and, you know, whether it's a corporate world or football, what, what, one of my frustrations, Gaz, is over many years seeing so many good football people who are passionate about the game. um, You know, they don't have to have played at the top level, but they're passionate about the game. They love the game. They've got great savvy around getting the best out of people and they understand leadership or they understand coaching they understand people why the game doesn't embrace more of those yeah. people um, and put them in key positions I'll, I'll never understand it um, and you know maybe maybe one day down the track I'll be in a, a position in the game um, where I've got the the capacity to, to bring some really good people into the game and I know there are good people involved yeah, in football. Um, absolutely, but uh, but I think there's a lot on the periphery that, if brought into the game, would definitely add strength to it. Yeah, no, I agree. One one of the things that AFL does down here in Victoria, at at all levels of the game, um, particularly coaches, they just don't let good people walk away. You know, head office creates a role for them until clubland opens up an opportunity for them. They'd be very good, and I'm assuming that the rugby league up there is a bit the same. Yeah, well, we, we absolutely, and and we have a um, you know a strategy at at NAB around uh, make sure you've got your enterprise lens on when it comes to people, and and what that means is you know there will often be people in the wrong roles that doesn't that don't the, the role might not fit the person, but if the person fits the enterprise or the the, the organisation, you don't let good people walk out the door. Um, yeah. You find a role that suits them, and um, and I think there's a lesson in that for. Uh, for sport as well, absolutely. Good, good, good people. Really good, very good people are, are not that easy to find. They don't just fall out of trees, do they? All right. Enough of this corporate jingle. Um, how did you get started in coaching, now, mate? Well, uh, interesting story. I uh, I was playing at Manly United under uh, an old friend of ours, John Cosmina, and uh, I um, I just got back from a year 
over tra- traveling Europe and, and playing a bit of football in England um, and uh, got this phone call out of the blue from a guy I didn't even know at a local club called DY Swans in the local Manly Winger Premier League and he introduced himself uh, and just said, look, have you ever thought about coaching? We're looking for a coach for our Premier League side. I said, no, don't be silly. Um, <laughs> and he said, look, do me a favour, just come down one night and just meet the club president and have a look around. And uh, my dad had actually played for DY years and years earlier. Um, and in fact, the, the clubhouse there is named after an old mate of his, Dave Anderson. And uh, so I went down one night and somehow within about uh, 67 minutes, I was signing a contract to, <laughs> to coach them <laughs> for that season. And um you know, we went on and it's a local Premier League. I had a ball. The, the club did everything that they could to be as professional as possible for, for a, a local Premier League club. And we went on and, uh, and won the, the grand final in my first season and had a ball doing it with, with some players that other clubs didn't want. And, um, you know, I got the bug straight away. And it wasn't so much, you know, winning the grand final in the first year because probably the, the, the strongest I've ever felt about coaching was when I had to take over from Ian Crook at Northern Spirit in the youth team the week that we made the grand final um, because he was appointed to the senior job at Newcastle United in the in the NSL um, and he left the club. He had to leave the club immediately, Northern Spirit. He left on the Tuesday. We were in the grand final on the Saturday against uh, Marconi and we got uh, belted 5-0. And, uh, <laughs> and that was the day that, yeah, ouch, uh, absolutely, and 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 I was still playing for Northern Spirit at the time, so I was sort of a first team player and helping out the coaching with the youth team. But I walked away from that game and thought, this is what I want to do. And all my friends and family thought I was absolutely stark raving mad because I'd just been beaten five nil in a grand final. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, and that's that's been a bit of a trend too, guys. I have to say through my career is the tough moments are the ones that mm. I've really latched onto and um, and held dear to me. Yeah, the um, that that I spoke uh, recently about resilient. Well, on this podcast, we we asked coaches all the time about the importance of resilience. So we'll we're already discussing it. So we'll we'll jump ahead and. Um, and mention it here, but every, everyone says it's um, it's just so important. The challenge is talking about, you know, how, how you help players uh, and yourself do that. And I think on a personal level, I think it's a bit like a muscle. I, I think each time you get a kick up the backside or a punch in the punch in the head, you get to choose whether you get up, dust it off and, and regroup and, and move forward again. Um, do you think that's... Do you think that's right, or, or how how do you help develop resilience in both players and and maybe uh, people that should be selling more um, more loans? Well, I, I don't think you can develop resilience unless you go through tough times yourself. Um, resilience for me is built through experience. Um, you know, there's a little bit of, you know installed in you from your parents, of course, and and your upbringing. There's no doubt about that. But that all ties in those experiences and the tougher experiences that you go through and you know to be a successful coach you know they say all all successful coaches when their team walks out on the field you can see a little bit of the coach in in the team and the way the team plays um if you haven't got resilience um as one of your key pillars then your team's not going to be resilient which means they're not going to be able to handle the tough times in the heat of battle um so i think resilience is absolutely key and um you know, that's it probably comes from my parents uh, and my upbringing that they've always said embrace the tough times because that's when you learn about yourself and, um, you know, never never truer words were spoken. Yeah. Uh, while we're, we're in that place talking about tough times, you, you represented Australia at the Maccabee Games in 97 and the Australian team were somewhere are about to walk on the bridge, some are on the bridge when that tragedy happened. I think your brother Jonathan, who's a who's a um, state level cricketer as well, actually was in the water at the time. That I don't want you to relive that, but how did you deal with that? How did you cope with that mentally once once Jonathan was safe and? Um, yeah, well, it's funny. You get, I'll just go back a step to when when it first happened. I won't relive the whole whole thing, Gaz. But um, but when it first happened, it was the, the, I was about a hundred and 50 metres behind the bridge um, with Ian Gray, ex-soccer Ian Gray, who was our coach at the time, um, the late, great Ian Gray. Um, 
and all you heard was this crackling. And first, first thing I heard was after the crackling was someone yell out gunfire. So we all hit the deck thinking that because there was a bit of unrest in Israel at the time, yeah. and uh, so straight away our, our thoughts were, you know machine gun fire and you know there's trouble up ahead and then someone yelled out the bridge has gone down and now i knew my brother was ahead of us with the cricket team um and so i just instinctively got up and and ran as quick as i can could towards the bridge met by a war zone um you know there was people everywhere screaming crying um a lot of bodies in the water you could see that the bridge had sort of collapsed on itself um and i just knew john was in there and i, I just remember this guard um, army guard standing across my line with a machine gun, um, you know, across his chest. And the guy was probably, I don't know, 6'4". I'm, I'm 5'10 when I'm on tippy toes. And uh, and he was built, built like the proverbial. And I just remember grabbing him by the machine gun and just throwing him um, aside. And I don't know where the strength came from. Um, obviously, adrenaline and, and, you know, out-of-body experience, I guess. But And then I just kept running. Um, half expecting to be shot in the back, but um, uh, looking for my brother, and uh, you know, and, and I saw him scrambling up the the the, the riverbank, and thankfully he was okay. But obviously we lost um, four members of the Australian team um, in what was a real tragedy. And I remember going back to the you know the team base, and we had a, a, a team meeting with the whole Australian team, and and the leaders at the time really impressed me because they 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 got in front of the group and they. You know, they faced into what what we were dealing with on, on the night. Um, no decisions were made on whether we'd play on or whether we'd, we'd get on planes and, and head back to, to Australia until the next morning from memory. But I was just so impressed with the leadership in a crisis situation and I took so much, so many learnings from it. Um, whereas we've seen plenty of examples, um, um, you know, even over the last 18 months with this pandemic of... of um, you know, leadership failings, um, but this was a really, really powerful experience. I won't say it was a great experience because there were lives lost, but a really powerful experience and learning curve to, to go through. Yeah, yeah, well, and and on a personal level, you went back four years later. Was that, was was any of that lingering on when you went back to, to Israel four years later? Yeah, I've just got the goosebumps now, just as you said that. Um, yeah, I, I had a very, very strong desire to go back um, and and face into some demons that were, you know, that were there, um, and um, and you know, just just wear the Australian shirt again in Israel, um, you know, in honour of those that we lost. We we did play on in those those games when when uh, we had those fatalities, um, but it was kind of surreal. It was it was a blur, um, you know on that trip and I just wanted to go back there and really experience it with a clear head um, and honour, you know, the, those fallen uh, comrades and um, and it was a great experience and, and I knew that that's what the Maccabee Games was supposed to be about, um, you know, tragedy befell us on the first experience but the second one was fantastic and, uh, you know, it's just great to, to go back there and, and face into it again um, and yeah. I think that's, you know, part of the journey of leadership as well is, is not um, steering clear of your uncomfortable behaviours, but actually facing into them. And developing that resilience muscle along the way, eh? 100%. <laughs> okay, let, let's, let's get back um, to, to football. Um, as, a, as a player or a coach, which coach or coaches has had the most influence on you? Oh, so many. Um, I wasn't born to be a player, guys. I, I had to work very, very hard um, as a player to, to, to sign a professional contract. And I'm, I'm very proud to say I did it at the age, the, the ripe old age of 27 um, with Northern Spirit. And, um, you know, it was a very proud moment for me um, because, you know, I, I knew what I'd been through to get there. I knew that I wasn't born, you know, to, to, to be a, um, uh, you know, a, a player at the very top level. I had to work every step of the way to get to where I got to. And so to be able to say I had a professional career, um, scored a goal that probably, um, you know, gave me the, the springboard into coaching. Um, you know, it was, it was the only goal I scored, so I can't forget it. Um, but um, but it was one of those moments where, you know, so much went into scoring a goal, and I was a defender most of the time, so I didn't get 
um, and, and a shortish defender, so I didn't go up for set pieces very often either. But but it was just that that culmination of a, of a lifelong um, journey of, of hard work to get to that moment where everything went right in the moment to score a goal and think, you know, I, I belong. I belong at this yeah. level and it gave me the belief to go on then and, and become a coach. Um, and, there, you know, I always say there's no such thing as an overnight success. I remember someone, you know, saying it at the time, you know, you've scored a goal, you're an overnight success. No, <laughs> the, the goal was just the icing on the cake of a lot of hard work and belief and knockbacks. So, you know, some of the coaches that, that really helped get me there, you know, all my junior coaches that, that gave me, um, the encouragement, but also there was some coaches that gave me the kick up the backside when I needed it. Um, and I was one of those that sort of, um, every time someone said you can't, it sort of motivated me to do better. Um, Cozzy, Cozzy was a pain in my backside when I was playing under under him at Manly. Um, you know, I was, his, I was his punching bag in the dressing room many times. Um, but, you know, he was one of the first coaches I rang when I signed for Northern Spirit to thank um, because I just knew that some of the lessons he gave me, and he was a, you know, he was a, an old school coach back in the Manly days. Um, you know, they were the things that got me running through a brick wall to get to that next level. Um, Des Martin was another one. Um, he was a wonderful coach, gave me a lot of confidence. You know, he would never beat me up in the dressing room. He'd always give me the confidence, put his arm around me, and back me um, yeah. to go to the next level. Um, so that, that, there are a couple that that spring to mind and then obviously Arnie had a massive influence on me um, when he signed me at Northern Spirit and, and really bought that European professionalism um, that yeah. him and Robbie Slater and, and Ian Crook had, um, you know, they bought that to Northern Spirit and that um, that was a real eye-opener as well. Yeah, that must have been an interesting time. You, you mentioned those those three, the three amigos at Northern Spirit, um, wonderful uh, professional careers uh, in Europe, the three of them, uh, to bring that experience back into Northern Spirit for a 27-year-old new professional must have been uh, there. Must have been some some great things and some great learnings happen at that time. Yeah, there really were. Um, <laughs> Robbie Slater's first, and we're great mates, uh, obviously now. But um, and and the, the friendship was formed on this very day. It was his first session with the club. I'll never forget it. It was a, a, a rainy day. We were down at a, a, a local public park at the bottom of North Sydney, looking out uh, towards Luna Park. And um, anyway, we were playing. It was a you know small-sided game from memory. I think one team was attacking the big goal and, and the defending team was attacking two mini goals that were made out of, um, you know, solid metal. Um, with those with those metal nets attached to them. And the ball broke and Robbie was going for it and I was going for it and I came up with this ball and all challenge. The problem was because it was a wet day, we both slid and Robbie slid straight into the upright of the mini goal and uh, split his shin open. And everyone, like, the world stopped and everyone thought, oh, no, Robbie Slater, our, our marquee signing's broken his leg. Mossy's up for it, and Robbie, in his typical style, has gone. Don't you know who I am? What do you think you're doing? Blah blah blah. <laughs> and and I I went back at him, and then Arnie, I'll never forget Arnie's voice cutting cutting the tension, saying, "Mossy, my office after this session." I thought, "Oh, well, there goes my career." <laughs> <laughs> the competition hadn't even started yet, um, and I was just a state league player trying to make it as a professional. But um, anyway, got to the office, and and Arnie said, "Look." I had to I had to haul you up up to the office, but great tackle. I want to see more of that during the season. It was a good lesson in man management too, because it was like you know I had to show his star player that you know he had his back. Um, yeah. But uh, behind the scenes, uh, you know, he certainly gave me the confidence to keep keep playing the way that I played. Yeah. Look, he, he's done a. He, he obviously. Northern Spirit, I'm sure he's a very, very different coach today than, than he was at Northern Spirit. Um, refined his craft with, with amazing uh, success uh, at the Mariners uh, and then headed off to Japan and then back to Sydney FC. Um, fell into the Socceroos job the first time, maybe may a little bit early, um, but he just continues to do a great job. And I know he'll be bitterly disappointed because the Oliroos have just bowed out in Tokyo, but um, t tell us a bit about Arnie, the man and the coach. 
Um, yeah, look, he's very, uh, very misunderstood publicly. Um, you know, what, what uh, you know, there's a lot of people in Australia that, um, you know, would, would uh, not be Arnie fans. Um, but I can tell you, anyone who's played for him, anyone who's coached with and under him, um, anyone who's been mentored by him, anyone who is a mate of his, um, you can't speak more highly of, uh, of who he is and what he stands for. Um, you know, he, he cares passionately, too passionately about the whole of the game. In fact, that's probably cost him um, a bit of success really in his own right as a, as a coach because, you know, we went into COVID lockdown and, and he, he did a performance gap report for the whole of the game. Um, to work out where the lost generation had gone and, and, and why and, and how we could get them back. Um, he didn't have to do that as a Socceroo coach. He didn't have to take on the Ollie Roos job, um, you know, for no extra income um, to try and develop, you know, the next generation of, of Socceroos. So, you know, he's been a, a huge part of my my journey as a, as a player and, and coach and, and good friend. Um, and, you know, the thing that we all probably ask more than anything is is would would a mate take a bullet for you and uh 155 percent he would um and uh in, in no matter what it's about whether it's in our personal lives and and our professional lives um but yeah i, I would like to see him get the success you know he's got it at club level I, i'd love to see him get the success he deserves um you know, with the national teams and, and then one day abroad because I think he's got it. I think it's great that Angie's paving the path for, for all Aussie yeah. coaches to follow. Um, and I'm a massive fan of Angie's, um, you know, Muskies, Popper, Arnie, you know, you, you name them. Um, I've just had a lot more to do with Arnie over the years. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's some terrific ones. Joe Montemuro just being appointed to Juventus Swimming as well as this. There's... Tanya Oxleby, there's some amazing Australian coaches playing their trade overseas Michael, doing great work. Michael Volcanus, um, we, can't, we can't forget uh, yeah, Michael Volcanus yeah. as well with the Greek national team. Yeah, no, that's uh, another conversation we need to have. That's one of the beauties about this podcast is there's no shortage of great people and coaches from the Australian game to talk to. So uh, no, it's good. I don't, know, so, I don't know you got a great one today, mate. <laughs> well, I think what's great about it, Phil, is that you've been you, – what I've learned in having these conversations is there are some people had, um, like John Aloisi, have had this illustrious playing career and essentially coaching for them, they roll from the elite playing career directly into coaching. And getting those early jobs isn't too much of a challenge, it seems, because of what they did as a professional player. Then there's the, I'm going to call them the career coach, like Joe Montemuro, like Alan Stadjic, that didn't necessarily have the outstanding elite playing career and have been journeyman coaches. They've had to build and grow their craft and get sacked plenty of times and come back and, and think about it and add to their craft and their skill. So, you know, for me, I think anyone that's, been in and around the game for as long as you have and and been around the experience that you have, achieved great personal success, there's value in it. Because what I've learned is that the conversations after I've had these conversations is the number of people that ring me or send me a text and say, Gaz, great conversation, and but they can pull something out of the conversation that made a point for them. And I think, you know, that's that. That, that for me is it. If, if we touch one person today that helps them in their coaching journey, then I think it's been a, it's been a great chat, as well as us catching up and having a good time because that's, that's the way yeah. as well. <laughs> no, so, spot on. So, and and that, that was a big responsibility I felt on my shoulders, Gaz. I, you know, I didn't have an illustrious playing career by any stretch. I, I worked damn hard to, to get to the professional level, um, ended up playing for my local club in, in the old NSL which was before its time, really. Northern Spirit was more an A-League franchise than it was an NSL club. Um, yeah. But, you know, when I went into coaching, I really thought, you know, I, I have to prove that you can get to the professional level as a coach in this country through the State League. Um, and, and when I got there with, the you know, the Ollie Roos, when I assisted Arnie and, and yeah. you know, we went to North Korea <laughs> to get a point to, to qualify for Beijing, um, that was an incredible experience, but I knew I was sort of flying the flag at the time for state league coaches saying it, it is possible 
to have a, yeah. uh, a career in coaching um, through the semi-professional ranks into the professional ranks. And then obviously the, the Mariners uh, opportunity came up. But, but the, the foundation for me, um, which I will never forget um, and always be grateful, was Manly Warringah Association and Manly United Football Club because it was my junior club and association. They gave me the opportunity to go full-time when there was really no such thing uh, at the state league level. And um, they gave me an opportunity to really build something professional at a state league level. And um, and I'm, I'm proud to see how they've gone from strength to strength since. Mossy, you've had good success as a coach, as a head coach. You've also had good success as an assistant coach. Um, some people say, you know, assistant coach is great because it's all care and no responsibility. Um, and most of us don't know what we don't know until we get appointed as the head coach because we think we know but until we've actually got the job um if we become a lot wiser immediately talk to us a little bit about that how, how has your coaching changed and evolved over the time and how do you make that switch from i'm here doing everything i can to help this group of players and help this head coach as opposed to i'm doing everything i can to help this group of players and this team of staff that I have to help grow and develop if we're going to be successful. Yeah, look, I think at the root of all of it, Gaz, is is what I said in the beginning. You know, what gets me out of bed in the morning is is people and and being the best I can be and being a little bit better today than I was yesterday or a little bit better next week than I was this week. Um, you know, to evolve my my leadership and um, and my skill set to help those around me um, reach their full potential, um, whatever that may be. And um, you know, so it doesn't matter if you. You know, if you're working at Central Coast Mariners or Sydney FC or, or Jongbook Motors in uh, in in the 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 K League, um, you know, it's about people and it's about setting that environment so everyone gets the opportunity if they're driven enough and motivated enough, they get the opportunity to realise their full potential and and make the most of um, of what they've got. And you know, I'll never forget the first day at the Mariners. You know, we we sat the players down and. Only basically said my my job and and the staff's job is to create as many millionaires in this dressing room as we can. Um, you know, <laughs> when you think about some of the names, the Matty Ryan's, the Bernie Abinis, the Tommy Rogiches, the Trent Sainsbury's. Uh, you know, the, the names roll off the tongue. Um, you know, that was a it was a fantastic team meeting, and a, you could see the eyes light up uh, of the players. And um, so yeah, it's it's never been so much you know you're certainly emotionally attached to to the club that you're working for at the time but the really strong why for me is is people yeah has your coaching changed over the journey absolutely yeah definitely i, I don't think you're ever you know ready you know you can never look at a job and go i'm a hundred percent ready for this um but you can certainly look back and go I'd probably do things a little bit differently now to what I did then because, you know, I'm more experienced now. I've looked at things from a different light. Um, I've learned from mistakes, which you can't make unless you make them. Um, and you can't learn from them if you don't have an open mind. Um, so I often think about whether I would go back into coaching one day. Um, and the answer is never say never. Um, and I've learned that from, from experience. You never know what's around the corner. But what I do know is... You know, if and when I do go back into coaching, I'm going to be a lot better equipped. Um, I'm going to um, learn from the past. Um, and I think, you know, with, without putting the cart before the horse, if I did go back into coaching, whoever, uh, whatever club I went to, um, you know, it, it's going to sound silly, Gaz, but it, it'll be a very shrewd signing because, you know, I, I do feel there's still some unfinished business. Um, but I've, I've really consciously gone away from the game um, at a coaching level um, to, to better myself and, and really understand leadership at a much deeper level than what I, what I ever did when I was in football. Um, yeah. So, yeah, who knows what's, uh, what's down the track. But, um, yeah, the, the, the project with FCA was just too good an opportunity to step away from coaching and, and have a, a, a wider impact on the coaching profession across the game. Yeah. Mate, the... Arnie, you've spoken about the influence and impact Arnie's had on you um, as a player and also as a coach. You do work in the media. You're connected to, to people from other sports. Have coaches from outside of football influenced your coaching and your leadership? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I love studying 
Um, you know, other coaches, I love listening to their press conferences. Um, I love picking their brains when I get the opportunity. Um, one, one of the first was probably uh, Des Hasler, um, obviously the, the Manly Seagulls coach in rugby league now, but I knew Desi back when he was a player. And um, he really taught me how to get the best out of himself with very little around him. And, and Desi was famous as a player for being one of the fittest in the NRL. Um, and, and it was all done, um, you know, against uh, most of his strength training was done against his own body weight. Um, and he had a gym yeah. under his house at uh, Coleroy Plateau. And um, I remember going there one day and saying, Desi, I want you to set me a program. And this when I was a young, young player. I was only in my early 20s at the time. Um, and he said, you don't need all the fancy stuff to get the best out of yourself. You just need the right mindset and the right mentality and, and um, the hunger uh, and the drive. And, and he, he had a bar, you know, a, a chin-up bar attached to, <laughs> attached to the ceiling <laughs> under his house and, you know, a few simple weights. And um, that, was a, that was a really good lesson for me. And the other one was Goose Hiddink. Uh, I know he's in our game, but I had the pleasure of meeting Goose when he was in charge of the Socceroos. And I said, could you give me one gold nugget? Goose for a young coach, and he said, he said simply, he looked at me. He said, "You got two eyes, two ears, and one one mouth for a reason." <laughs> and he just left it. He just let it hang. And I'm like, okay, I'll take that away. And obviously, over time, it's you know, I knew what he meant at the time, but over time, it's yeah. really resonated with me. Yeah. Now, I think as a coach, you you get used to standing up. Uh, in front of people talking and uh, many of us like to do here like to like to hear the sound of our own voices that's for sure so what great wisdom um i think i already know the answer to this but why do you do it why do you coach yeah again people i, do, I love being around people um i love the game you know there's a photo of myself before I could walk, um, I'm wearing a nappy um, and there's a football in front of me um, that, that I keep close to me at home. And, um, you know, I do that because it always reminds me of, of my why. Um, I, there's the photos of me sitting on the grass in the backyard as a kid in a nappy with a football in front of me. And the way I'm looking at the ball, you know, it was quite clearly my first love um in life um even before i knew it so you know i try and keep that close to me that that you know the reason we're involved in the game is because we love the game and and my my real motivation is is to be around people and and to help get the best out of them and help them be the best that they can be yeah. so that being the case then what what have been some of your most enjoyable moments as a coach um Obviously, the, the wins stand out. You know, the, the first title um, for the Mariners is, is right up there, um, of course, because smallest club um, that could, uh, that hadn't been able to, um, did that day against Western Sydney at, at the old SFS. Um, but, you know, and, and obviously winning a, a title at, um, at Manly in the, in the State League and getting promoted from the old um, um, State League, Super League to the Premier League, um, but, but really, the, the things that stand out for... And, and that's not about me as a coach. You know, it's not about me sitting there going, you know, I've won something or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's about seeing the looks on the, the faces of the players and their families and the fans and, you know, being involved in something that's provided so much joy um, to, to so many people. That, that's what drives me. And, you know, I've always said if, if, if you gave me the choice between lifting a trophy or driving a Matty Ryan to the airport so he could get on a flight and go and sign in the English Premier League, I'd, I'd take the trip to the airport any day. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you, you know you've played a small role in helping someone get to the next level. And, and you know, the, I still watch the likes of Matty and, and Trent Sainsbury and all those, you know, kids from the Mariners that are now playing for the national team and, and overseas. Like, that is the biggest source of pride for me and, and how many players from the state league went to the the national league and, and the a league yeah all those millionaires playing from the mariners eh? <laughs> that's Mom. it i'm still waiting for the, still waiting for the gold watches <laughs> to arrive <laughs> multi-millionaires in most of those cases as well well see how about some valuable what has been some of the the valuable lessons that you've learned on your highs and and on the lows on your journey 
probably the most powerful lesson, Gaz, was when I got the sack from the Mariners, um, and you know, I, I fell out with the owner, Mike Charlesworth, and yeah. and just knew that there was only going to be one winner, and and you know, when it's so public, and you know, your, your mobile phone battery runs out of battery by you know, nine 9.30 in the morning when you're in the job and then three days after you're out of it, you're lucky if you recharge your phone once a once a fortnight. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, for, for many months after that happened, I was going through a court case and, um, you know, as you said, I had my family, my lawyer and my mobile phone. Um, you know, I, I had this mindset that that, that defined me, um, that, you know, being that, that coach from the Mariners that got the sack defined me. Um, and and God bless a cotton. So my uh, fiance Penny slapped me around the head one day and said, "You got to wake up to yourself. This is not you. you. You know, you're always so positive. Um, your mindset at the moment is the thing that's dragging you down." Um, and it was a it was a great light bulb moment for me because it, it showed the power of having the right people around you. Um, you know, and, and how you know because as a coach, so often when things are going well, you've got plenty of people blowing smoke, um, but and, and when things are going badly, they'll they'll put their arm around you and, and sometimes feed into the victim mentality that you feel, um, you know, when you're in that situation. So to have people around me like Penny, like my family, my mum and dad and my brothers um, and my close mates who were prepared to, you know, give me the old uppercut and say, this, you know, this doesn't define you. Um, you, you are who you are as, as a person. And, and that was a real turning point for me and, and something that I've really held close to me through all the tough times yeah. since and um, really helped build resilience. No, that's good, mate. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. What does success look like? Uh, it's a great question. Um, it's a hard one to define um, in words because I, I think success is a feeling um, more so than a, a, a bunch of words put together but um, you know if, if I always feel if I can leave, leave a positive imprint on everyone that I'm involved with um, if I can get them to walk away with either a nugget to, to, to grab onto or a smile on their face or something that stirs their thinking that's going to help take them to the next level um, you know, that for me is probably a, a decent definition. Um, again, hard to put into words. It's, it's a feeling I get. Um, and, and the other thing is just to be the best I can be uh, as, as a human being. Um, you know, it's not about trophies or medals or, or putting players on a plane to go overseas. It's, it's being the best me for those closest to me, um, best father I can be for my, my kids, partner for, my, for, for Penny. Um, and you know, make mum and dad proud um, until they draw their last breath and, um, and and carry carry on the tradition that they've worked so hard within the family to, to create. Yeah, good on you, mate. I love that. I'm sure they are very, very proud. We are, all of us coaches, very proud of our prez. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, right, mate. mate. We're, we're, um, we're almost done here. Um, if you've got one piece of wisdom, you ask Gusidic this and you can't use his, you can't use Ernie Merrick's either, check the VARs working. But if you've got <laughs> one piece <laughs> if you've got one piece of wisdom for coaches, whether they're at the beginning, middle or towards the end of their journey, just one piece of wisdom, what would that be? I would have to say um, I'd have to say embrace embrace the tough times um, and take a moment to enjoy the good times. That's it. That's a, that's a very succinct and quick summary. Thanks, Phil Moss. Really, really appreciate your time today. Um, you queried whether you were great enough, interesting enough to be a part of this conversation. Uh, and like all of the people that sit the other side of this camera, you've done a great job, mate. Really, really appreciate your time. Appreciate your leadership, your honesty, and really appreciate the job you're doing for Australia's football coaches. It's uh, it's much appreciated. 
thank you, Gaz, and I, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for the amazing work you're doing with this uh, podcast because it's it's just providing so much guidance and wisdom for all the coaches out there. No one has to pay a cent for it. they just got to buy you a coffee. Um, but it, it really is a wonderful service that you're doing. So thanks for having me along today. Cheers, mate. Our pleasure. We really, really enjoyed it. You've been listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, if you want to learn a little bit more about Football Coaches Australia, go to footballcoachesoz.org.au. You can purchase a membership. You can renew a membership. You can learn a little bit more about our organisation. Have a wonderful day.